Well, welcome to the Situation Report for September 13th, 2023. It's Lieutenant Colonel Murray. I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Conrad. Colonel Piper is stuck in traffic, living the dream. And we're going to talk about a couple of things today. I, I, the, I want to start with a, a bunch of admin notes because I got a ton of feedback and a ton of views in the last two videos. Uh, first of all, I want to shout out to Matt Bracken. Thanks for uh, for recommending the video, bud. I appreciate it. I uh, I couldn't I couldn't figure out the the massive bump in in viewers because um, normally it's around two or three thousand for for viewers, and this the last two were like fifteen twenty thousand views. So he zeroed in on my nine five uh, sit rep, and it was pretty interesting because you know a lot of the stuff we talk about is conjecture a lot of stuff that we um we analyze the stuff that we talk about before we come on the show so we have more of an organized thought process the last two especially one with troop was really ad hoc i wanted to throw some topics at these guys and let them free think so it does so we're not you know talking about canned responses so if it seems disjointed for some of these that's why I don't, I don't want to be one of those, uh, I don't want to have one of those roundtable discussions where we, we've all had, you know, five or six days to, to read up on the topic, right? Because things are changing so fast um, and things are, things are happening so fast. Like case of point, yesterday, Kanaka, I saw it on Kanakoa's channel first on Telegram. He released the, the video of the Mexican government um, showing those alien, those mummified alien remains, which... It's, if that's true, which for all intent and purposes, let's just assume to, for devil's advocate that that's true, that's that's amazing. That's not only amazing, that's phenomenal because that that says in one bold statement to the entire planet that not only does alien life exist, but we're acknowledging that we found alien remains that are non-human in Mexico. Which leads to the very next question of do we have alien remains? And there's there's a wide there's a wide belief across the planet that not only do we have we have alien corpses, we have live aliens, we're working with live alien species, we have captured UFOs, the the, the full gamut, right? This disclosure, if it's true, literally changes the landscape of the entire planet in a nanosecond because it answers the, the age old question that the government's denied, that religions denied, that social media is denied for, for, you know, all intent and purposes. You can't mock this. If it's true, you can't discredit this. It's if it's true. And if it is true, then literally it changes the scope of our, of our entire existence. Because it tells us that we're not alone. And it tells us that for all of these years that we've been, you know, the UFO community has been ridiculed, mocked, et cetera. And sometimes they do it to themselves. Case in point, Corey Good. The, the reality of the situation is we're not alone. And we have definitive proof of that now. And if it's irrefutable, which I guess I read something today that said there's 30% non-human non-human or unknown or unidentified dna that's that's earth changing that's that's tectonic earth changing and it leads to a, a host of questions 
which I don't think they can answer. And, you know, this is not one of those instances where you can say that the Mexican government released this because of the quote-unquote indictment or impeachment of Joe Biden, literally. And it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to that wag-the-dog theory. Even though it looks like that, two things can be true at once, and the optics might look, might look weird, but this could be true. And if it is, there's going to be a whole bunch of excited people here. And by the same token, there's the warning that not only is this going to drive people over the edge, but it's going to, it's going to drive the, you know, the conspiracy of the UFO side of the house. They're going to start pulling things out, out of the hat, right? This is irrefutable proof. This is physical proof. And this is, if it's true, it's amazing. So I'll just, I'll just end that thought process there. And uh, I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Conrad. I don't know, um, Dave, if you're back, I know you were, you were shuffling around a bit, but if you're back, say hello. Uh, I'm on. Good evening. Good day. Whatever time it is, wherever you are. Good to be on. Glad to have you back, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, I wanted to say a couple of things to the to the folks that sent uh, both of us um, a lot of comments. First of all, I appreciate the kind words. You know, we're we're calling this as we see it. We're we're looking at the situation from I'm looking at it from an information operations, information warfare perspective. Uh, Colonel Conrad's looking at it from the the military combat arms side of the house. Colonel Piper's looking at it from the intelligence side of the house and combat arms side of the house. We've we've got three different military views here, and I appreciate the fact that uh, you that the audience has given us leeway to have these discussions because I've I've tried to put uh, content and discussions out to make people critically think. And if that's if that's what we do at the end of this, then that's success to me, because look, there's none of us can be right all the time. None of us can be right, you know, eighty percent of the time. In fact, I, I heard a number a few years ago that if you're right eighty percent of the time about the what the government's doing, you disappear. So obviously, I'm in the low seventies, low sixties, low seventies, somewhere in there. So, and I think uh, Colonel Conrad's approaching me rapidly in the 50, 60 range. So we could both hit the 80 range and disappear. So you'll know if we're over target, if we're talking about something, and then both of us vanish the next day, you'll know that we are over target at the 80% mark. So I'll just put that out there so everybody knows. So one of the things I want to talk about tonight is the Daniel Eschelin video that I posted. Um, I, th I sent it out Monday. I... Um, watched it several times, and I've reached out to Daniel Osterlin trying to get him, get him on one of the roundtable discussions because the guy is, he's like Alex Grainer, right? He's got an innate view of the big picture and can articulate it in a way that all of us can consume it. And it's pretty amazing to listen to the, first of all, I'd listen to it three or four times to catch all the salient points. So I don't know about you, Dave, but there was a lot of information condensed into an hour-long presentation that I thought was spot on. I don't know. It called me crazy, but I, I think Estulin sees the bigger picture of, of what's going on. And, and one of the things that he said in the, in the video that, that I've been saying for a while, and he says it differently this time is that there's no vision for the elite. Don't have a vision 
for what the the end state that they're trying to reach. They have a, they have an end state in mind and a goal in mind, but they don't have they don't have a um, they don't have a big picture view of how they want the world to be when we get to the other side of this. And he says it in the, in the sense that there's no words for the monet. There's no monetary description or monetary words to describe the monetary system that's going to come out of this because they don't have a clear view of what they want in the future, which is very interesting to me because it, it says in, in very succinct words that there's not a vision for the future. It's just this march towards total control and feudalism and even calls it technocracy feudalism, which I think is amazing in the video. So Dave, are you still there? You on the phone? Thank you. He's on the phone. Anyway, so my apologies. He's got some things going on in the background. So we're trying to make this work, but if you listen to the whole video and, and I've, I've read uh, almost all of Estelin's books uh, the book that really set me off, that was actually given to me by my uh, by my brother, was the Bilderberg Group. And if you don't know anything about the Bilderberg Group, that's it's made up of business business elite. It's made up of aristocracy. It's made up of old money and institutional money. And if you never heard me use that term, institutional money, institutional money is old family money, like the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, um, the Windsors. In, in the in Europe, there's tons of names that you're probably some of which you probably never heard, but have been have generational money. They're called old money, old wealth, and that old wealth attends Bilderberg, and they discuss and shape the events that transpire over the next 12 to 24 months, and they take the long view of everything. And Estulin did the deep dive on Bilderberg a number of years ago. I think he wrote that in 2008 and 2009. And the book is, um, it's one, it's interesting for the way that he addresses the Bilderberg Group. But number two, it, it talks about a wider discussion that the elite have about shaping world, <clears throat> world events. And then you have the Sun Valley Summit with all the tech oligarchs to talk about what technology is going to do. And most of them attend Bilderberg, including Gates, Sergey Brin, Eric Schmidt, et cetera. But they also go to Silicon Valley and talk about the technology side of that. So you can see the worldwide coordination that goes on. And Estulin talks about that in the book. It does a really, really good job of presenting what the intent of Bilderberg was. I think it was started in 1953, if I'm not mistaken. A very interesting book that will give you context for his discussion in his live stream to Northern Lights. And that was this the, the video was done two, two months ago. But it's still salient today because, as I said in my 9-5 sit rep, that we're, we're marching towards a precipice that is converging a number of events. And literally, I've heard on at least six different shows just today that the alternative media community, the social media community, and for lack of a better word, the non-mainstream media is talking about the fact that they're expecting some kind of a black swan event next month. And it's, it's literally starting to propagate. And if you're in the, if you're in the live chat right now, how many of you can actually feel that there's something coming? Because I would rather imagine that you can, the, the, the consensus is going to be that you, everybody knows something's coming. 
you can sense it, you can feel it. It's it's palpable in the air. And that's a good portion of what Estulin talks about is the shaping these world events. And in the military, we talk about shaping operations. Like we we set conditions. What we the way, the best way to explain it is we try and set conditions so that we can shape the battlefield and provide um, likely outcomes is a better way to put it. And Dave could probably say this a hell of a lot better than I can. But in the information side of the house, we talk about shaping the battlefield and achieving desired effects, first order effects, second order effects, third order effects, et cetera. And then we start to look at intended and unintended consequences of the information operations that we're conducting. That's what Bilderberg does. That's what the, the elite have done. And the reason why we're drilling down on this, why I'm drilling down on this, is for the very simple fact that most people will look at the big picture, but you get myopic and they want to distract you with one view of the world, and like the elections. How many people are wrapped up in 24? I could care less about 24 because we're never getting that far because they've shaped the battlefield for some kind of an event to happen within the next 30 to 45 days. At least that's the way I, that's the way it's starting to come together for that in my view. I don't know, Dave, you might have a different thought process on this one. Well, I don't know what I just missed. I apologize. Just uh, had to take care of some family things there with a uh, wife that had some major surgery. But um, I, let me go back to what you were saying, introducing uh, that video with Daniel Estulin. Uh, I agree. I've watched it about three times. There's a tremendous amount there to unpack. I think you and I are both uh, pretty much in agreement with him in, in terms of overall strategic perspective. Um, you know, sometimes the details can vary, but I, I certainly agree with him on the sense that, uh, number one, we're, we're headed towards a once in a, you know, thousand year kind of situation in terms of, you know, geostrategic change. Uh, for a number of reasons. And, and of course, there's all of those people that talk about, you know, the fourth turning and the, the ocule cycle and all of those things that refer to various periodic turns in, uh, in human history. But Estulin, I think, uh, obviously, he's the guy that broke the ice on the Bilderberg Group. I, I read his book when it first came out. And uh, I think it'd be very exciting for you, Steve, if you're able to get an interview with him. And uh, I'd, I'd already be thinking about the questions for that for that fellow. But, you know, I think um, I think he talks about uh, any number of different subjects and we could almost just have to we, we pretty much have to pick one and drill down on a little bit, and pick it apart. But I think the overall perspective that uh, there is a neo feudalistic view or vision for the future, in my opinion, uh, of what the globalists are really looking to do. As he pointed out, they've been working on things for, well, he used the term thousands of years, I would say probably more like hundreds of years, but uh, I agree with the concept. There's, there's, They have plans that are extremely long range. They work contingencies all the time, um, but this next this next turning, I think he was talking about sixth generation of uh, techno revolution that we're techno industrial revolution that we're heading to. 
with transhumanism is just, it's enormously frightening. But uh, there's one comment that, that he made that I want to really emphasize for a second in terms of the fear factor. And I don't, I don't react to too many things, but I've seen some videos lately that really concur with the sentiment he was expressing. He talked towards the end of his discussion about the fact that the globalists are exploring, developing, and exercising technology which is capable of covertly influencing our minds. You know, when you watch a video of a professor, uh, ironically, the chair of bioethics at Georgetown University, at least in the realm of uh, biochemistry and uh, neuroscience, when you when you watch somebody like that, uh, a man with, you know, PhDs who's working at DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and they're not excited about new missiles or new conventional weaponry or even strategic weaponry. They view the future battlefield, actually the current battlefield, as the human mind. We're already there. And so when you listen to a professor like that talking about how they can influence people and you watch videos where they're, they're openly almost bragging about the fact that they can cause people to hear voices in their head and there's that level of influence and control that can be exerted. Um, it's truly frightening. And Daniel Estulin was, was talking about the fact that we're, we're at that point, we're on the cusp of that point where they can convince us to accept our lot in life as second-class citizens, but not just, not just willingly accept it, but to do so in such a way that we no longer have the urge or the will to fight back. And as he well, pointed that's out, the, that's what the vaccines are for. That's, I think that's part of it, right? Is there's the, because it, I, I would say they're already here. If I, if I've, if it's, you know, let me say it, let me say it a different way. So, so it resonates. It's already here. The technology to do things that, that simply aren't, we don't use in everyday life has been around since the 90s and imagine how advanced it is now and then there was a book that came out several years ago called um the pentagon's brain and it talks about darpa and i think it was done in 2005 or 2006 but back then they were talking about miniaturization and using miniature devices to not only infiltrate but to monitor assess and then as mobile sensors and that was 2004 2005 so assume that they've already perfected that technology and they're probably haven't operationalized it yet because i can tell you in 2000 and 2000 and 2008 or 2009 i was on the mall in the pentagon or the mall in um, dc in the by the reflection pool and saw three um, dragonflies literally fly down the center of the reflection pool in formation. And I can tell you that dragonflies don't fly that way. And they literally flew all the way down the reflection pool from the Lincoln Memorial in formation, all the way down across the reflection pool. And my buddy caught it first. I didn't see it. 
And he looked over and said, those are drones. I went, no way. He's like, those are, look at out there flying in formation. And to this day, I can tell you exactly what color they were. I can tell you how big they were, how fast they were moving, the sound they were making. It was amazing. And that was 2008. Imagine what DARPA's come up with by 2023. I agree. My father had a very high level of clearance, and he always emphasized to me that if, if you or I hear about it, they're at least 20 years in advance of that. And uh, so I'm definitely on board with that concept. But what I was really driving at was the fact that we are literally the last generation that may have the, the willingness to stand up and defend ourselves and fight back. And if, if this does not happen, humanity and history will, will pivot on these next cu coming couple of years as, as the last great opportunity to, to have any kind of liberty or freedoms unto ourselves and, and personal as well as nationalistic sovereignty. If we don't, if we don't organize and do that at some point here very, very soon, uh, it will literally be too late. When you look at these multiple homicide shootings that you see, um, you're seeing evidence of those kinds of technology being applied. And uh, there's a lot more. It's, we're, we're speaking of it in simplistic terms. It's much more sophisticated, and there are supporting elements that go to it. But I literally, a week ago, was talking to someone who explained to me that their son, who was autistic, had been targeted by a certain federal agency and uh, had been communicating with them online. And they literally found one of the one of the agents hanging out in a vehicle near their home observing. And so they feel their son was being targeted to do something that he wouldn't otherwise do. But, uh, you know, this is this is a different type of psychological grooming. But these types of advanced manipulation technologies are here and uh, people people are only now beginning to connect the dots, put the pieces together and realize um, how some of these things can be applied and where they're already being applied. And it's damn frightening. Yeah. And, you know, and the other side of that, too, is that they were doing this through pharmacological um, resources, you know, like um, mind altering, et cetera, et cetera, back in the 60s. And then I, I'm convinced that some of the psychos, uh, psychosomatics or psychotropics, whatever you want to call them, have the Adderalls, the Strateras, the Focalins of the world. Those were used to groom specific types of individuals to do this and now i think they've got the ability to do it either through the vaccine because there's something in the i'm convinced there's something in the vaccine i'm convinced of it when i when i had this discussion with chambers about the lipid nanoparticle and the the marburg piece i was i'm still somewhat skeptical because sam sigaloff did a an episode i think it was episode 33 where he talks about the lipid nanoparticle and why it's so dangerous and the spike proteins and everything. And Sam's an amazingly smart guy, right? And went through persecution like a lot of others in the military because he was issuing 
um, religious, religious exemptions, and they wanted to drum in on the military, and he won his case. But suffice it to say that he he made a very interesting statement, and that is, within 20 years, the human race as we know will be drastically different than what it is now because of the vaccines. Whether you got it or not doesn't matter. The, the way that they've architected this vaccine, it's a death sentence for the people that took it, and the, the people that didn't take it are forever going to be changed unless you mitigate it. And there's only so much you can mitigate. And if it's really DNA changing, imagine the implications of that if you want to activate people to do a mass shooting, to do some kind of an, uh, an, you know, a, a mass event. That would be very easy. And that technology would be very easy to produce if you've already got some of the other technologies that we talked about with DARPA. And, you know, I saw things that will never see the light of day. And this was, you know, 20 years ago. And you're right, they're, they're 20 or 30 years ahead of us. But most of the time, that technology is not mass produced. So when you have when you have tech like that, they have tech, but they don't have a lot of it. And when the when it's gone, it's gone. And it's hard to reproduce. So I'm not I'm not too concerned with that tech. The tech I'm really concerned with is the bioweapons that you talked about in the last time we did a roundtable where you said they'll release a more virulent variant that will kill more people over time. And that variant is what they'll use to get compliance. And I, I think, like I said, I think they're marching us towards a mass event. So all these things happen at once. So they can use the fear, they can use the disorientation, they can use the ambiguity, and they can use the, the mass hysteria to drive people into the concentration camps. Because the narrative for COVID is, it. I mean, Canada's trying to roll out masks again, and they're getting a uniform across the, the entire country, you know, F you. So I don't see the narrative for COVID playing out for them. I just, I just don't. Because the world, it, and again, I can't remember who said it. Um, I think it was Vivek that said it. Anything related to World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, or WTO is an automatic no with the bulk of the population. And then today a senator came out, was talking about an anti-crypto um, legislation, which I think is very interesting because it tells me that the have-nots, the people that don't have a uh, a seat at the table, are the ones that are architecting some of this. And I think that over time, we're going to see more of those people coming out of the woodwork. Because, you know, Ox Craner said something when, when he and I were talking that I thought was probably spot on. And that is, you're going to bring people along with this new agenda in the system to support the, the new world order. But at some point, those people are going to be asked to burn the bridge they're standing on. And most of them aren't going to do that. They're not going to, they're not going to burn the bridge they're standing on and lose their seat at the table. And that's where, and that's part of the reason why I say, that complex plans like this, because this is a massively complex plan to do this across the planet. And if you if you take a step back from just the New World Order folks that are in the, the Davos crowd and the European Union and all the old money in Europe, if you take a step back from that 
and ask yourself, who has the resources to support this level of an effort to where they can throw bodies at it to do all the little work and keep things cohesively moving in the right direction? The natural answer is China. China you know, has enough bodies to do this hands down several times over in every country on the planet. One billion people, they can occupy this country, they could occupy all of Europe, they could occupy most of Africa and a good portion of Asia and not break a sweat. So they have the, the ability to not only carry out this plan and support the globalist agenda, they have the ability to follow through and to make sure it's enforced. That's the, that's the bigger picture here, right? Because you're, you're looking at who can do it, who could pull it off, who planned it, etc. Now, from that aspect, ask the question that's, that's very simple from that. What's the most likely thing they can do coordinated? And then what's the most likely thing that can be disrupted that would disrupt the whole plan? We In the military, we call that center of gravity. What's the enemy's center of gravity? Meaning, what is their, their key node that if we destroy it with a bomb or we take it out with a bullet, what happens to the rest of the organization if that key node goes down or that center of gravity? And literally, that's how that's how this will fall apart is that some keynote that we probably don't even realize right now is sitting there. They think it's protected. It's probably not going to be protected. And then things will fall apart the moment that that keynote is taken out. And it'll probably be taken out, you know, just by happenstance. And it's the law of unintended consequences. It's one of those things where you're, it, and I'll give you a perfect example. I'm standing in the the comm shop with the uh, the comm officer for Task Force Olympia, and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon in Mosul, and General Ham walks downstairs as a major at the time, and he says, "Hey, uh, what's the uh, what's the chances of a mortar round hitting that fiber optic line?" And we had one fiber optic line to run from our comm equipment inside the building out to a satellite van. And literally, as the comma was saying, sir, it's probably less than 10 percent, a 107 millimeter mortar landed right on it and blew it up. And it was the only one we had in country. That's the law of unintended consequences. And that that happens all the time in war. That's why I say beyond a shadow of a doubt that at some point their plan's going to unravel because I don't I, I refuse to believe that humans are going to be subjugated to a bunch of Eurofags for a thousand years. I just, I don't, I don't believe that that's going to happen. I don't have any, I have less than a, less than a, you know, an inkling that that's going to happen. So that's how I see that piece. Um, to answer your question, Turbo, so um, wireless body area networks are already here. They've been tested by Google. They've been tested by, I can't remember who else did it. It wasn't 3M, it was somebody else that did it. Anyway, it's basically a microchip and the microchips have been around for a very, very long time, a lot longer than you think since the seventies or eighties. And it was the, the, the original body microchips were made by a guy in, in Europe. They, they were not patented, but let's just put it this way. A lot of people were interested because it's basically an etching on a piece of metal. It gives off a signal. And if you hit it with the right, the right um, signal, it, it emits a, a response. And those have been around forever and they fit the, you put them in a syringe and they, so any, if, if you've gotten vaccinated by anything before 
2021, chances are you're probably already a part of a wireless body network. But um, the technology they're talking about is broader. Um, and IPv6, if you don't know what IPv6 is, it's TCPIP. It's the current it's the current version of TCPIP. Um, we didn't have the ability under IPv4 to be able to tag that as many devices as we want to. We had to break it up and do different routing and switching procedures to be able to manage all the traffic. But with IV6 now, you can do that with billions of devices. And this would, you know, this is just fits right into it. You just get an IP address and you'll be an IP'd resource to a network if you aren't already are. So it's already here. Um, the other question about the NATO exercise for Paul, uh, this NATO exercise could be covered for an attack. I don't know, but it's it, the reason why it's unprecedented is it's a show of force more than anything else that NATO still has enough um, firepower to take on the Russians head to head. It's, we've, we've been doing shows of force forever. This it's also a response. Yeah. It's also a response. There's been some saber rattling lately. There's been more uh, talk ginned up recently by the Russians about tactical nuclear weapon use. Uh, they even named potential targets in some of their rhetoric, which is uh, kind of unusual, but interesting. And uh, so I think it's signal, but at the same time, it's, it is saber rattling. It's, it's far enough out being February that they can modify or adjust or adapt to whatever they need to do with the situation. And uh, they're not committed to anything just by, uh, you know, making a, a generalized or vague announcement. Granted, I didn't see the format where or how that was announced. But uh, I think they're just going tit for tat with some of that. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think it's a, it's just a big show of force. So, um, I was just answering questions from the from the chat. So, no, I understand. But I was talking about the bigger picture and the complex ops of of this whole agenda, right? So, one of the things that that and while you were stepped away, the one Eschelin talks about this big bold plan, and I was I was trying to articulate that you know. Part of the problem with this global agenda is it's it's heavily reliant on information. It's heavily reliant on people being dialed into mainstream media and all the information sources because they rely on information to not just program you, but to repeatedly beat the drum on specific topics. And if you look at the current news cycle, you're going to see that there's there's financial troubles in China. There's financial troubles in, in parts of Asia. There's logistical issues throughout um, throughout Africa and, and part of the Middle East, a resurgence of the Arab-Israeli war. There's a number of narratives that have come back. And if you tune that out and you turn that off, then you have no awareness of what the latest and greatest fear story is. And they're heavily dependent on information flow to keep you scared and to keep you in the in the narrative and to keep you dialed into whatever the latest latest flavor of the week is in order to achieve their aims that is that is literally how they do this and the information space like you were saying dave that they 
you know, they have the ability now to influence people with technology versus uh, pharmaceuticals. But if you tune out of social media completely, you you miss all of the programming. And I'll give you a case in point. If if because I know people in the audience are 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 on TikTok, they're on Instagram, and probably some of you are still on Facebook. I can tell you that if you're a twenty something, you're dialed into TikTok every day. They will my my nephews will sit here for hours and watch TikTok videos. And it doesn't matter what I say to them, that it all your information goes to China, all your information's being harvested, all your keystrokes are being harvested, your terms of service allow the Chinese government to exfiltrate everybody your data. Not to mention the amount of programming that takes place every single day through TikTok videos. They don't care. They're not even, they're not even um, cognizant of the fact that TikTok, like Instagram, is programming them to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to talk a certain way, to think a certain way. They don't get it. If you look at TikTok videos in China, and then you look at TikTok videos in the US, you're going to see two very distinctly different themes and messages across those countries. In China, it's all scientific. It's all STEM information. It's stuff that's good for the Communist Chinese Communist Party or the military. In the US, it's nonsense. Absolute nonsense, all of it. But they're so addicted to it that they don't want to break away from it. It's like taking a phone away from a 14 year old. They lose their minds after 15 minutes, even 10 minutes. That's that's the power of social media. It totally changes your psyche. And when you step away from it and break the chain of that, and you get away from it, let's say seven days. You take a kid away from a phone for seven days or an Xbox or one of those other mediums that just sucks all their time and attention, I guarantee you that you'll be able to not only mold the kid, but have a conversation and break apart some of those themes and themes and messages. Anytime that you break the cycle or you break the thought process, you could break away from the main narratives. That's what that's what we have to do, right? Because the, the most critical age group right now is 18 to 35. They're the most susceptible to the vaccine. They're the ones that are being injured the most by myocarditis. And if we can pull them away, we have a better shot of breaking up this new world order and regaining our country. Because right now, the, the folks that are paying attention are over 40. In fact, I would say 40 to 75 is the age group that is breaking away from the mainstream. Anybody under 40, it's going to be a hard sell to get them off of social media because they grew up with it. And the elite are banking on that and that generation because that's who's going to fight the wars. I don't know, call me crazy, Dave, but that's that's how I see the the, the disruption to this new world order agenda. And the more people that are awake seeing the bigger picture that this is just about servitude, the better off we're all going to be. And we're we're starting to get rumblings of it. You know, today's admission by the Senate or by the House that they want, you know, an anti-CBDC legislation put in place. That, that's a monumental step in the right direction if they can get it through. But there's no chance of it ever passing the Senate. But the point, this, the point still remains that the conversation is starting to boil to the surface. And the fact that all of the 
discussions around CBDC need to continue and the noise level needs to be turned up for us to disrupt their operation. Just like COVID, you know, Canada's trying to bring back masks. I don't think, I, I think they're going to be initially partially successful, but I think you're going to see a massive backlash. I, I, I just don't see how this can succeed. And, and you know, I've, and, and I'll, I'll put it this way for over a decade, we were in Vietnam and we fought an enemy, a dogged enemy that was moving supplies by horse, by mule, by buffalo. They were on bikes and they fought on for 10 years. And they were not only committed, but they were motivated. And you can, you can take the win-loss term out of this. We left Vietnam as losers. There was nothing accomplished there in 10 years. And in that 10 years, we lost 68,000 American lives. For what? And I can tell you that we fought a dogged enemy that didn't give up. And there's, there's a line, I think it's in the Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck. Victory is for those who believe the most, the longest. So it's going to be our generation that has to believe the most and be ardent believers no matter how bad things get that we're going to be victorious to rally everybody else. That's that's the way I see it playing out. Well, don't forget that uh, it wasn't just 10 years because in reality, you had Dien Bien Phu, the defeat of the French, and you know, European colonialists, and uh, really, it, this, it was a much longer generational resistance and war on their part than just the time that we were involved. And so, you know, as you talk about these things, there's, there's, there's an irony that's going through my mind right now. And that is, you talked about the youth and the critical age groups. And, you know, it's funny, years ago, we used to have to encourage parents to talk to their kids about human sexuality so you wouldn't have unwanted pregnancies and things like that or transmitting you know social diseases and then it kind of moved to well parents you've got to talk to your kids about drugs because we've got you know this this heroin epidemic or whatever and now we're literally at a point where parents the, the kids who are engaged in social media and, and I've I've encountered a fair number of young people who are fairly awake to the situation, but in every one of those cases, it's because their moms and dads are talking to them, explaining things about the geostrategic situation. And uh, and so now we're at the point where forget about you know having the birds and the bees discussion or the drugs discussion. We got to talk to them about the globalists and explain what the world's really like and that much of the history they've been taught in school isn't really what it seems. And so, you know, there's, there's gotta be a wake up call in there and hopefully, you know, hopefully parents are responsible and talking to their kids about some of that stuff and, and not letting them be as influenced. But I, I like you, Steve, um, I fear for the greater majority of these kids um, you know, and there's another thing you talk about the things that attract these kids online. Well, Americans are generally addicted to all kinds of terrible things in terms of uh, 
dietary uh, circumstances. So, and that, so resultingly, what have you got? You've got a nation full of obese people, right? Well, from a, from a mental standpoint, you have, we, we are bombarded with clickbait. You can't get on one of the search engines without this or that or you know, the other thing, this kind of clickbait. And they know what you're interested in. They know what TV shows you like. So it's almost like, oh, I need to check that out. Oh, that's interesting. And so you, you, my wife had been in education for 20 years. And, you know, she would often comment to me that when you looked at the Asian kids, the level of discipline and focus towards meaningful things was substantially better than with, with uh, most other cultures. And so I think that's that, part of yeah. that is, I think there, it's threefold, right? It goes back to what I was saying about programming is that for generations, I mean, let's go back to um, TV in the, in the eighties, TV in the eighties was programming, right? And the member whole Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs, that whole mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. it, it was, it was literally programmed from the time I was in grade school and first started watching TV until late in, late into my thirties to critically think about things, right? It was in every T it was laced into every TV show. It was laced into every movie. And then right around the mid nineties, you know, I, of course, after the Clintons come to town, I blame them for everything. Cause I think they're douchebags, but right around that time is when all of it shifted to, more independent, go with the flow, more liberal ideas, more liberal thought processes. The family unit was differentiated from the nuclear family, the the whole women's right thing, um, and women's, uh, what do they call it? Women's medical and health freedom. That All those conversations started in the 90s, and that's when the programming shifted from critically think and don't trust the government and limited government to trust the government, trust first responders, trust, you know, trust your authority figures, trust politicians. And that drum was beat for almost 20 years. So when, when you look at the kids today, they're inundated with communist messaging that started under Obama in 2008. And I would say it started after 2001. And if you talk to a 20 something, what you hear is drastically different than what you and I consider freedom is because after the Patriot Act was signed, literally, they were teaching in schools, don't worry about it if they're monitoring your phone because you're not doing anything wrong. It doesn't matter if they're illegally right. searching and seizing stuff at the airport because it's for the greater good and it's for your safety. They completely changed the talking points. And now you have a generation that thinks that communism was done the wrong way. And you have people that are writing things in, in Wikipedia that are supporting that argument. And where do kids today get most of their information? From a Google search. And Google just this week rolled out a worldwide censorship um, algorithm and AI that literally in chat uh, GPT is now censoring people. So you can see why this generation has, you know, is going to be challenged at best to you know, support the ideals that you and I grew up with. Well, let's, let's remember, first of all, um, the nineties was the point where you saw people from the sixties assuming the reins of, uh, significant role models and, and people in responsible positions. 
And the so, boomers, yeah. So you you also and at the very heart of that, you have Hillary Clinton, first lady, who was trying to hold un unregistered, uh, unwarranted hearings behind closed doors at the White House on a future health care system. Of course, people got up in arms about that, saying, hey, she's not an elected official. But look at her hero, Saul Alinsky, right? Go back and read his his book on uh, rules for radicals. What's what's rule number one? Take over the health care system. You know, and you go back to the to the Rockefellers and, you know, J.D.'s father was literally a snake oil salesman. And he understood J.D. Rockefeller understood just how powerful it was to influence people um, through any type of, you know, medical hope, uh, whether it's through pharmaceuticals or treatment. But anybody was going to pay ridiculous amounts of money and, and do whatever they need to to heal themselves uh, because, you know, gen- generally speaking, if you don't have your health, uh, you don't have anything. And, and, uh, and just while we're on the topic of Clinton, she's she's been called a Bolshevik since 92 or 93. And she literally is a communist. And I, I hear people talk all the time that she's a Luciferian. No, she's a communist and a deconstructionist because she's a Marxist. And she she believes in almost everything that Marx printed. And Marx was a deconstructionist. If you look at all of his writings, it's about deconstructing things. It's not about building anything. Deconstruct the family unit. Deconstruct the state. Get people to accept a lower standard of living. Deconstruct their lifestyle. It was all. That's exactly what she's been trying to do for almost thirty years. And the the, the whole satanic piece of this, I'm not sure I buy into that because you know Marx's in and of itself was was Luciferian just by his very thought process. So. I wanted to spell that and get that out of the way because it's something that comes up for me all the time. Well, you're, you're on the, you're on the money with that. I mean, think about the very thrust of the communist manifesto. You know, people don't, people who haven't read that don't even realize you cannot have an actual communist state unless by definition, it was first a capitalist state that imploded under its own weight and greed. And and what does she do? She always tries to drive that, that process, right? And that's what you're talking about with the deconstructionism. Yeah. Don Lemon, deconstructionist. Jake Tapper, deconstructionist. They're they're all trying to deconstruct the United States. And look at what they've done to healthcare in the last three years. They've deconstructed the healthcare industry to the point where, and this is a good case in point, this is how bad it is in healthcare right now. It's it's become a margin business. And that's massively dangerous for a patient because you walk in the door and it's not about taking care of you, doing preventative health, trying to address all of your symptoms. They've architected the system so they can only address the symptoms that you walked in the door with and then treat those symptoms. They can't diagnose you properly and then treat you holistically. Because the insurance companies will only pay for specific treatments based on what's quote unquote presenting. And the reason why I say it that way is because that's literally the experience I had with my brother when he went, when he was diagnosed with cancer for the second time. 
I, I literally almost went fist to cups with radio or oncologists because of the stuff that was coming out of their mouths. And I realized that that was not them talking. That was them saying what the insurance companies would authorize and pay for. And that whole system in and of itself is designed to be a money extraction system. And now it's been enhanced to where they've included the FDA in the process now. And they're literally taking cold medicines off the shelf. They've bought up all the supplement companies. They're trying to take um, any kind of prescription drugs off the market. And they're trying to move a lot of the -the over-the-counter remedies into the prescription side of the house. So they have complete control of medicine. That's, that's deconstructing the free, the health freedom that we've had for over 70 years in this country, probably longer than that. That's true. But you go back to that uh, law of unintended consequences. And I think ironically, one of the results of that kind of activity out of necessity, if nothing else, will be a move back towards uh, more homeopathic medicine, more naturalistic medicine and the like, you know, absolutely. But it shows, it shows just how compromised every institution in our society is because of the, the level of corruption and the level of collusion that's going on right now at the national level between the government and private entities. So these public private partnerships that they've used that and leveraged that to muddy the waters to escape any kind of accountability through FOIA requests and then drive all these changes in the market. People don't even realize, like I had a conversation yesterday and somebody's like, well, at least we have control of the judges. I said, as of today, Biden has appointed more federal judges than Trump did under his term. They're stacking the deck in the legal system to allow them to legislate through the legal system when they can't get it through the legislative branch and then back up all of their abuses of power. This is classic communist, you know, communistic tape. Or look over here while we're appointing more judges. They're, they're doing it to us every day. And they're compromising more and more of each system, which is why all these systems have to fail completely. I agree with you. And uh, what I, I wanted to sort of circle back to something. You know, we started the conversation talking about uh, in Cusco, Peru, uh, finding the so-called alien remains, right? Well, you and I don't know one way or another whether those are genuine or not. But that kind of information is endemic to part of the the programming that's going on. And I think we've talked about this before, Steve. Part of inducing people in a hypnotic induction, uh, I should say one of the techniques is confusion technique, where you hit people from so many directions with so much information uh, and so many profound distractions that the mind as a defensive mechanism teems to go into uh, almost a neutral position and is therefore more susceptible and more vulnerable to suggestion. Yeah, that's flooding the system with garbage. Yeah, Kissinger bragged openly about how they did that to Richard Nixon back in the early 70s. And so, you know, we look at this nonsense. Well, I'm expressing an opinion here. Uh, We look at this this, uh, information released about potential alien life. Well, you just said it about a half an hour ago or so that if that is true, this is a, a focal point in human history. Right. This is a, uh, an enormously uh, impactful, um, mind altering 
or I should say paradigm altering disclosure if it's true. And so you have the magnitude, you have the information, and you have something from a different direction. And we look at all of these different things. So NATO is going to have the largest exercises they've held in decades and decades. And we hear the, the, the Russians talking about uh, actually naming targets for the use of tactical nuclear warheads. So you have these, these issues of enormous magnitude that are being bandied about. And so the average person hears this stuff. Then he hears what he hears on Fox News or the evening news or whatever he listens to or on social media. And it gets people to a point where separating the wheat from the shaft becomes very difficult. Or you talk about noise from signal and people get confused. They don't know what to believe. And pretty soon when something really impactful, really significant comes out, it's easily missed because of that they've been so deluded with with all of this other information that that most people would consider enormously impactful. And I think that's that's part of where they're trying to drive us. You know, I see people talking about, you know, something big's gonna happen. Um, I think we all agree we're approaching a focal point. I don't oh, yeah. I don't necessarily think it's in the next two or three months. But I do see a, a great many things being ramped up. I, I still, think I think it's sooner uh, than later, Dave. I, 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 I still think the focal, yeah, the focal you, point to me is the election and and them we're averting not getting it. that far, man. They need they, well, they, them averting it. Them averting they, yeah, it. they can't. They can't. They can't. Have, well, first of all, I don't think Biden can make it that far. Second well, of all, sure. I don't think the establishment can agree, agree amongst themselves who's who's more awful than Biden right now to be able to replace him. And I think it's an interesting development that um, Newsom has said that he's not going to run for president, which I I find shocking. That tells me that somebody got to him and said, no, you're not going to run. You're not the chosen one. Everybody thinks you're a douchebag. When I look at it that way, I think there's a lot of things that are driving them to this year, not versus, versus next year. Because if you look at Biden on stage, that guy... I don't know what they're pumping him full of Adderall, Stratero, whatever it is that they're giving him, but it's not lasted as long as it used to because his, his, his incoherent rambling is getting worse and worse and worse. They cut the mic on the guy two days ago because he was such a babbling moron. And he says, he says the quiet part out loud. I think it's fantastic, but you just can't, you can't make it up. Well, but, it's, it's elder abuse at, at some point, you know, it's elder abuse as, as people have, that guy's out. molested so many kids. I don't, I, it's not abuse <laughs> I, to me. That's just I, I, justice I, I, and karma. I, I'm with Sorry. you. I'm with you. But at, at the same time, uh, so here's a question for you, because we had talked about this a couple of months ago as two of the higher level prospects were either going to be, you know, Newsom on the one hand or potentially Michelle. And, uh, you know, if, if Newsom is, is being told to you know shut the hell up and sit down. Um, I don't know. Maybe just because Michelle is from an anointed family, uh, and and she hasn't aged out. If you take a look at the big, you know, the big names in the Democratic uh, bench, so to speak, um, maybe they think she's someone that can be appealing to the masses, and and they've done enough research to determine that Newsom has uh, jumped a shark. 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know where they stand on that. I, I almost wonder, is there somebody in the wings that we've not identified that they're looking to uh, introduce? But if they do that, it's going to have to be fairly soon, wouldn't you think? Yeah. I, well, the, this whole impeachment discussion to me says that they're, they're, they're prepping the public for removing Biden. And it's they're going to do a bunch of theater around it. They're going to do a bunch of um, congressional hearings that aren't going to lead anywhere. And then at some point, Biden's going to step down due to health reasons, and then they'll appoint somebody else. I think the quandary, and maybe they probably you're probably right, Dave. They probably have somebody in the wings that we don't even know about because they all hate Kamala Harris. First of all, she's too dumb to be the president. Secondly, she's more hated than Hillary Clinton in her own party. So you know they're going to replace her with somebody. But I think the interesting side of that from, and I'm looking at just from the information operations side of the house, is that the messaging around Big Mike is they don't want her. The disclosures around Obama being gay, that's yeah. pre-disclosure to this, that, that Big Mike is a dude. And that's going to be a massive shock to the to the rest of the party. And that, to me, is designed to take them off the board. Because remember, pawns in the game, right? Right. You're an asset till you're a liability, and then they destroy you. Till you're you. not. <laughs> yeah, and then they destroy you and liquidate you, it, which is exactly what they're doing to Big Mike and, and Barry. And, and that's, that's why I asked the question, is yeah. if they're taking Newsom and Big Mike down. Uh, and by the way, I, I want to just digress for a second. For anyone listening, there was a show called Veep on HBO with Julia uh, Louise Dreyfus. God, it's terrible. It's terrible. And it is it's offensive. Terrible. It's it's cringing to watch. But the, the, but as the show goes on, there are some parts that are hilarious. And I have to say, when I look at Kamala, it makes me think of that show <laughs> in a literal sense that it's just, you know, she's she's that bad going off the rails. She's that uh Dude, I think I think of office space when I think of Camilla <laughs> Harris, man. What would you say you do here? You know what I mean? It's like uh, oh. I'm just, just saying I never dumb. would have thought I never would have thought that they're they're as much fun as they poked at politicians in that show. I just never thought that would actually be the incarnation of somebody that, that could be like the Julia Louise Dreyfus character. And yet we're living with it right now. You know, we've, 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 we've gotten there. Yeah. And, but you're right. I think there is somebody in the wings that they, it's not going to be McCarthy. They're not going to put McCarthy in the president's no. office. It's going to be somebody else. I, it's too, this is a planned event to me. I see it as a planned event. I see it as they delayed and used as much of Biden as they possibly could to get through as many of the communist agenda items that they could before they bring in the antichrist but that literally is what it seems like they're getting ready to unveil the antichrist so and... let's review for just one second i don't mean to cut you off no go ahead but the the um the guy who's second in the polls i i, I get stuck vivek. On vivek okay so let's review a couple of things here you have a guy who has uh you know a bit of a, a racial background hmm, similar to obama you have a guy who comes off as uh, a self-made man, worth a great deal of money, successful in the business world, hmm. similar to Trump. You have a guy who is is 
you know, amazingly smooth up there on the microphone, again, like Obama. He's, uh, when you think about the different people that have been put in front of us, and whether it's Democrat or Republican, we both know it doesn't matter. They own all the horses in the race, right? And and at this point, they may have done enough, you know, internal forecasting and, and internal testing and, and, and marketing and arrived at the conclusion that uh, no matter who they put up there from the Democratic standpoint, um, it's it's probably not going to be that palatable to an American public that that is living with thousands of dollars of credit card debt who you know can't put gas in the tank or food on the table right now without you know overspending and so i uh, that's why i'm i'm you know you look at who is it that they may be pushing in front of us uh maybe this Vivek guy figures a little more heavily into things than what what we're thinking So anyhow, Steve, I, uh, I'm not sure, like you said, we're not sure who else may be waiting in the wings. I, uh, I just, I haven't had time to spend looking at stuff like that. I agree. McCarthy's not going to be the guy. Um, but we also have to see what happens with Trump because they're going to maintain focus on bringing him down. Well, they're going to and... smoke him. They're going to smoke him. Come on, man. You know how that's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I do. You know, you hear people say they're, well, Daniel Estulin said it. He said they're not afraid of of Trump. They're not afraid of uh, you know uh, Putin. They're afraid of the people. It's a numbers thing. And uh, I, I do think I would modulate how you phrase that with Trump because it's not Trump the person. It's Trump the movement that I think is frightening to them because he manifests a great deal. And whether you like the guy personally or not, um, you know, the whole MAGA concept, America first, et cetera, is uh, as somebody that seemingly can't be bought. Um, yeah, that's that is more of a package as to what people are looking for. And uh, but again, it's going to be interesting to see who pops up out of the woodwork. I think it's unintended consequences. I think let's let's go down the road of Trump's uh, controlled asset and and uh, we'll we'll wrap it up in a few minutes after that. But let's go down the road. He's a controlled asset, right? Because according to to, to Estula and the Bilderberg Group, they bet on both ponies. And in in twenty twenty sixteen, they bet on both ponies. It was it was Clinton or Trump, right? When Trump first showed up on the scene, Trump um, was a joke, and they 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 made jokes about him. And then he dominated the Twitter space and used Twitter to reshape the entire election process. Literally every news story, every conversation in the media after the first primary was all about Trump because he dominated and shifted the narrative away from the news media. And what he did, and it was a brilliant move, especially from, from a information warfare standpoint, it was a brilliant move to shift the, the focus and make the mainstream media pivot away from their normal programming mode and move to a mode where they were scraping the internet and scraping social media to get the story of the day. It completely took the wind out of their sails. At the same time that happened, the unintended consequence that came out of that was the, was the very simple concept of this make America great thing. It resonated with the base the base 
did was so completely tired of the status quo that they didn't want any more of the status quo and it galvanized an entire population to rally behind him it was a brilliant move brilliant and because of that the unintended consequence that came out of that was the simple fact that now you have this movement that's not going to vote for anyone else and part of the movement has turned trump into a messiah the other part of the movement has turned Trump into the savior. Both both parts of the movement are un, they're immutable. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not moving to Vivek. They're they're definitely not moving to DeSantis. So they've created this movement that's not going away. And as as they villainized him throughout the press from 2016 to 2020, all it did was gain more supporters. And now they've turned him into a martyr. So if they smoke him which is which they're dumb enough to do, then they're not only going to start a civil war, it will be their downfall. And it's an un- unintended consequence of them trying to turn Trump into a joke. That's literally how it all developed. And the interesting part of all of it is that Trump, even today, even if he's controlled today, he still commands the news cycle. And he's been out of office, what, two years? That is that is amazing from an information from an information warfare standpoint because you just you don't count on having the narrative past six or eight months. He's had the narrative for almost seven years. That's that's unprecedented for any political candidate, and his popularity is higher today than it was when he was in office. That's amazing, especially after four years of orange man bad. Well, let me let me talk about Trump for just a minute, if I may. Um, when I think of Trump right out of the gate, I, I, I think of Henry VIII in in one of his castles. There's a very famous painting of Henry VIII, which makes his head and his upper body seem just huge. And it, it was almost a caricature. But anybody coming into Henry VIII's court would pass by that. And it was a measure of intimidation. And so when you look at when you look at Trump as a businessman, as an entity, you almost have like Trump the concept. And that's what I think of. Trump has built this this persona, right? And um, But that's not actually Trump. Now, let me backpedal for a second. Way back in 2015, 2016, I was looking at Ted Cruz. I, I looked at the 16 people for the Republicans who were going to run. There were two people that my wife and I agreed upon could actually make some change. One was Trump and one was Ted Cruz. My interest in Ted Cruz was the fact that he had, he does have a brilliant legal mind and he was one of only two senators of which I'm aware that have the actual capacity to sit down in longhand and actually draft full legislation. Most of those other people, they don't have that men- mental acuity or the legal experience to do something like that. And so I, I initially looked at Cruz. My wife is someone who did some work in the Hamptons. A close friend of hers uh, introduced her to Trump a couple of times. And she said he is extremely different in person. The actual person of Donald Trump is very, very different than what you're presented with on TV, that persona that I'm alluding to. In fact, one of her, and I said, is this just your impression? She said, no. She said, uh, as you know, I've got a very close friend that's actually very good friends, has been for a couple of decades 
very close friends with Donald Trump. And she's and and again, she's explaining this to me back in twenty late late twenty fifteen. And so um, I'm just I'm just want to hammer the point. I don't think that most people really have a zeroed in accurate perspective on Donald Trump. I agree with the things you were talking about in terms of law of unintended consequences and and how his movement has become you know something rather dangerous to those people, uh, meaning the globalists. But by the same token, I think there's I, I would be surprised if there are not more aspects of Trump which we have yet to see. And I'm not one of these people who worships Donald Trump and thinks that this is all a show and that he's in charge behind the scenes or any of that kind of stuff. I don't think that. I do think that he very intentionally stepped back from fighting the results of the election. Uh, There are a number of actions he took towards the end of his presidency, which made me think, particularly with Chris Miller as the acting secretary of defense, and some of the changes in the hierarchy, the chain of command, reporting-wise and otherwise, some of the moves that he made personnel-wise, uh, that made me think he was at least contemplating taking some serious action. And um, But I think he thought the better of it because he wanted to avoid civil war. He wanted to avoid the, becoming the monster that people wanted to paint him as, as an authoritarian. Uh, which they still, to this day, want to paint him as. Um, But even more than that, uh, I think he probably intuitively realized that the audience that is America really needed to wake up, really needed more people. You had a a core of 20% of the people who had, um, you know, let's just say didn't, didn't live with the illusions that most people do. And uh, we're aware of just how bad some of the corruption is. But he knew that we had to reach a much higher level of the population. And, you know, I I think it's reasonable to expect that 65 to 70 percent of the population are are now, you know, vastly more awake than they were a few years ago. And people, as you and I, Steve, have always commented, the American people have to suffer some real pain before they're willing to take real action. And so I'll just wrap up my comment by saying, A, I think there are aspects of Donald Trump that most people are not privy to. Um, and I think there are probably some things that that uh, in the future uh, may not surprise us, but they're things we haven't yet seen. And I think he's a pretty bright guy. I think I think he is. I, I have a hard time recognizing him as a as a controlled asset. I mean, you know, there's a saying that everybody has a boss. Well, maybe that's the case. But I think Donald Trump is is about uh, as free an agent as we're ever likely to see getting anywhere near the presidential chair. I, I don't know what I think of him, Dave. You know, I. I, he surrounded himself with people that are like Mnuchin. I never could figure out that play. I never could figure out the Jared Kushner play, why he remained loyal to Jared Kushner. I, when you look at the, the economic uh, opportunity zones that Kushner tried to put into the Middle East, every piece of that 
was geared <laughs> towards Israel, right? And his the whole move of the embassy to Jerusalem, he did a lot of things that you can you can question, right? Warp speed, pushing the vaccines. There's there's a lot of different pieces. Like one comment he made when this when when COVID first started, and most people have forgotten about it. He was in a press conference with Tony Fauci, and he said, we're going to force the pharmaceutical companies to return production to the U.S. so we're not dependent on China. The next day, vanished. The whole narrative vanished. And that tells me that somebody was pulling his strings. And it wasn't Kushner, and it wasn't, it wasn't Mnuchin. It was somebody in the pharmaceutical industry related to Fauci that pulled the plug on that whole conversation because you never heard it again. And so, you know, I'm on the fence of, of what he is or isn't. And then to be honest, it doesn't matter. I think he did the right thing by not declaring the insurrection act, even though I wanted him to, cause I wanted to bust some heads, but it would, this would have dropped our country into civil war that where we are now, I think if we, if he would have, if they would have done something and the military would have stepped in, a year after Biden took office, that would have been more successful. But now the military's compromised, the the every institution, the FBI has been weaponized. I mean, those those two individuals, the 75-year-old guy and the disabled veteran, those were those were kill squads. Don't call them anything else because that's exactly what they were, is kill squads. And the fact that the IRS and the ATF are now going after federal firearms dealers. They're trying to subvert, subvert the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, and the Fourth and the Fourteenth Amendments by literally doing things at night, and no one's paying attention. And Trump has said nothing about any of that. And I've had people say that's plutonium. Bullshit. He was the first guy, after Alex Jones made his statement that COVID restrictions were coming back, he was the first guy that said, resist. That to me says he's controlled to a certain point because if he was really serious, he would have said resist and come together on the second amendment. But, you know, you can make the case that it's plutonium for him. Either way, that somebody's pulling his strings. And well, I, I don't mind being wrong about that. I don't mind eating crow about it, but you, you can't get, and I'll just use my own experience with the whole Flynn camp. Because I defended Flynn for the first two years, and he blew up my team. And what what set me off about that was, and it was probably unintentional. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt; it was unintentional. But everybody in Trump's orbit, everything they've touched has blown up, literally everything. And now there's a bunch of allegations about Roger Stone lying under oath. There's a bunch of allegations about Rudy Giuliani lying under oath. I don't know how much of it's true or if any of it's true, but it, it tells you that he was surrounded by people that were complete douchebags. And giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was surrounded by douchebags and he was surrounded by swamp creatures, I can understand why he made some of the decisions he did. But right now, where he's supposed to be a free agent, he doesn't he doesn't get a buy. Well, I think when you use the term, uh, you know, somebody's dangling him on a string or, or anything like, I don't know that anybody pulls his string as much as there are people who have a tremendous amount of leverage in this country and on this planet. 
And I think when Trump was flirting with the idea of starting his own party, moving away from the Republican Party, I think there were, you know, the powers that be sat down with him, whether it was McCarthy or his chief of staff, and, and explained to him, nope, uh, they're not going to let that happen. I think there are people who have that kind of leverage. Um, now, that doesn't mean that he likes it. It also doesn't mean that they're pulling his strings, but it does mean that, you know, he's not a king. He, he can't just simply give an order and it's sanctioned and done. Um, I, I liken Donald Trump in one sense to a second lieutenant. Every second lieutenant goes in, comes out of their commissioning source, goes into position uh, with their first platoon with, with all kinds of ideas and things like that. But as you and I both know, it takes a certain amount of savvy, a certain amount of seasoning, and there's a tremendous amount of difference between a first lieutenant or a captain and a second lieutenant. And I'm, I'm guardedly hopeful that Trump has been using his time wisely, that, uh, that he understands, he's a smart enough guy to understand the mistakes that he made in the past, and that he's taking appropriate measures to, uh, well, just what you talked about, get the right people around him. And, and... I, I can confirm, Dave, that he's done that. I had that conversation with Cash, Cash Patel, and Cash told me that, you know, this was this was off recording, but Cash told me that number one, they've already de they've already decided who is loyal to the Constitution and who is going to be on the, you know, appointed to the specific offices when mm -hmm. he takes office again. And it wasn't if he takes office again; it's when he takes office again. I should emphasize that because that was. That was his point several times. Mm -hmm. And then he also made it clear that they wouldn't repeat the same mistakes related to the military, the same as mistakes related to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Because I said to him, I was very direct and said, oh, you, you can appoint me to be the Undersecretary of Defense and the SecDef, and trust me, I'll go in there and bust heads. I will clean house. And they will be scared of me walking down the hall because I guarantee you, for the first year I'm at the Pentagon, I will walk down the hall and fire at least one person all the way. And I will throw every single contractor out of the Pentagon on day one. And I, you know, I think Chris Miller's got the job, but you know, it's just me. But, um, and then the other thing I said is, uh, you know, I'll take the mission to go roll up some of these governors too, because that's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not kidding, Dave, before this is over, Jay Inslee is going to get Mo. I am going to escort him, his wife, and his daughter to Gitmo, and they are going to spend the rest of their lives in prison for crimes against humanity. I think there's a lot of people that ultimately will will uh, have judgment rendered upon them. I, I pray to God. Yeah, but that son of a bitch, I'm going to escort him. He's he's going to Gitmo. Well, I want to see Daniel, or I, I want to see Fauci. Uh, taken down for what he is and exposed for what he and, and his colleagues. He needs to be publicly uh, executed. Or, that oh, needs to be a public execution. I, I, I think a yard arm Absolutely. in the town square is very appropriate. Yep. And, uh, but, you know, just to re reiterate, I, I, I don't expect the kind of perfection of Trump that some people seem to. I think he made mistakes as, as Ronald Reagan made mistakes and other people have made mistakes. But there's the thing. Look at the difference in, in anybody's first go-round in the chair versus the second the second administration. There's a lot of things that most people tend to correct. Well, I, think, I, I don't I think Trump that, would yeah. do that. I, 
I, I, I should clarify that um, having been around that establishment for so long and, and working in D.C., I, I learned to not really care who the renter in the White House is because it's a it's a four to eight year minimum security prison sentence is what it really is. And whoever's in, in the office is is POTUS for the military. But the, the, the real damage is being done in Congress. The, the bills they passed, the, the amount of money laundering and corruption and the amount of um, special interests and the lobbyists that are infested and have taken over Capitol Hill. And this is not a new phenomenon. This goes all the way back to the 40s. It, it, that needs to be cleaned up for Trump to be successful. And the election system needs to be cleaned up. And I don't see that happening. I, I see Trump coming in after hostilities and being the president and leading us out of this. That's that's what I see. I would see, I would foresee um, the DOJ being rectified and going full, full hog after people in our Congress for whether it's corruption, whether it's money laundering, whether it's, you know, uh, insider trading. You know what that's going to be, right? <laughs> uh, that's going to be Cash Patel as the as the uh, attorney general. And then you're going to see Matt Whitaker as the director of the FBI. And then you're going to see executions. That's that's how that's set up. I'm you think sure Patel would, would be attorney absolutely. general? Oh, absolutely. Cash Patel would be a he was a he's a former federal prosecutor. No, I know that. I know that. I Shit. and I thought I thought Set he would loose. be. I thought he would be at the operational level. No, not, uh, taking get action. him Fido, get him. Okay, send him out there. It's like you know you send the dogs out to 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 get a guy who's hiding behind a hiding in a bush like they did with this immigrant they caught today. They said they sicked uh, Cujo out on him and he chewed on him for a little while. That's exactly what. Cash Patel's going to do. He's going to go chew on Merrick Garland for a while, and then they're going to arrest Merrick Garland and, and call it good. That's that's how it's ultimately going to go down. But I here's a I question. think Matt Whitaker is the FBI director. Oh, we'd have an FBI. No, I, I'm with you 100. Um, percent I actually thought Whitaker might be the guy that'd stick at Attorney General. But um, what I was thinking about was how do we get around the speed bump that is uh, the vote on some of these people getting put into cabinet positions because you know the establishment you know the, the the rhinos and the democrats they're not going to vote for any of these people they're not and uh you still got to get them into those positions so how does that happen like i said i think a lot of this is going to be post-hostility I mean, yeah well that's, that's a good point that's a good point you know it's the system I said this on nine five. The system can't reform itself, and the strata of of elite that is is running the show. They don't have a they don't have a playbook for after they've quote unquote consolidated power. So I see this falling apart. I mean, what happens if the economy blows up and you're not paying all these government workers, all the people that are doing their bidding, the IRS and everybody else? Guess what? They're going to go home to their families. It doesn't matter how ardent they believe in the system unless you have a safety net for those people which i doubt they have then you're going to be we're going to be in a in a, this part this this time period of absolute chaos 
which they want to avoid, but I don't think they're going to be able to avoid it. Because the, the one thing that communists are good at is infiltration. The one thing they're bad at is complex operations. And I cannot help but think that this is going to go sideways right after they, they step off the line of departure and they won't get it back. That's how I see it develop. I see Trump coming in after and and literally being sworn in and, and trying to resuscitate the government. And then we go through two or three iterations of that before we finally land on what the final government structure is going to look like. Because Eshelman says it best. We, we don't have words in the monetary system to describe the system that's going to come after this collapse. And because of that, there's going to be kinetic conflict. I, I agree with him. I, I think that Trump will come in after that. Do I think it's going to be a thermonuclear war? God, I hope not. I, I just hope I get enough time to smoke a cigar before it goes, before the balloon goes up. You never know. I, I, the way that they're marching us towards war could be any time now. No, I understand. You made it. I want to end on one comment. You, you had said something to me the other day that I thought might be of interest to people. I had brought up the the, the question mark of uh, EMP, electromagnetic pulse, and I agree with you. Uh, globalists don't want to see something like that employed because it it can be detrimental to themselves. But then I sat there and I thought, well, wait a minute. The alternative, you've got the alternative of even worse things. You've got biologic warfare, which in the strata of cataclysmic events is is actually considered worse than uh, you know full blown nuclear war. So you've got the the possibility of biological agents yeah, destroying a lot too. of us. Right, that affects What's, them too. Well, it, that's what I'm saying. That's what it's I'm like saying. Like a computer virus, right? The, the, so, computer virus that's going right. to affect everybody. It bounces back. You can't control right. it. Yeah. And so what I'm this is what I'm saying. The point I'm making is you have biological warfare agents as a possibility, but almost too horrific and too dangerous for them to even consider. You have uh, full-scale nuclear exchange, which again makes a lot of the uh, key areas of the planet uninhabitable and is, is very detrimental even to the elite. And then you go down the line and you think about an EMP, even if it's just to one-third of our country, uh, it's still really significant. And uh, it's, I certainly, I'm not saying I expect that to happen, but I'm saying it's more likely to happen than, than the, the previous two things I just mentioned. And so I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Or they could do all of it. I'm okay. still trying to think of what kind of black swan events are are realistic. realistic. I, I think there's I think there's a host of black swan events. To be perfectly honest with you, there's there's the economic collapse. There's the logistical collapse. There's the fuel collapse. There's pick what because they could use all of them at the same time, which is what I think they're angling towards. So to answer a couple of questions in the chat, I don't think Trump was a controlled asset in 9-11. I think Trump was a free agent um, around 9-11, and his comments reflect that, especially if you go back and watch some of the old interviews. Um, my comments about Trump being a controlled asset now is just playing devil's advocate as Trump was a controlled asset. I, you know, I'm, I'm basing my opinion on the fact that I know that every president has a group of handlers, and those handlers report to other people, and that policy and a lot of legislation is influenced by the people that are handling the president. 
And typically when the president enters office on the first day, there's a host of people and belly buttons around him that tell him exactly what the current state is for the party, for the for the platform, et cetera. The president doesn't have as much latitude as you think it, that you think that the president does. And they don't have as much flexibility as you think that they do. And Congress is a big determinant of what legislation gets through. So there's a lot of deal making and BS that goes on. And all of that is done in the background by the handlers. It's not done by the president. So the president has a very, very busy schedule. The president doesn't take a dump without 40 people knowing about it and escorting him around. To answer, to answer Chris's question, um, I, I knew Chris Miller. I crossed paths with him. He is a, he is a, he's a real deal. He's a good guy. He believes in the Constitution. I, I, uh, I think he'll come back as the SECDEF. I think he's he started a nonprofit after he left office. I don't know what he's doing now, but his nonprofit has pretty much been dark. And if you look at the players on the nonprofit, I think it's uh, it's a very interesting, um, a very interesting aspect of what uh, what he's doing post um, SecDef. But his comments after he left office were more telling than anything he said in office. That everybody reflects on that that complex operations comment that he made when he was still in office talking to Mike Pence. I think he's since had a change of heart, and I think he's since figured out that Mike Pence is Judas. But it's plutonium for him to say that politically because he's still in the beltway. So I think he, there is something definitively going on. I think they're, they're definitively working with general officers that are loyal to the Constitution. I think Doug Doug McGregor is working with general officers to to uh, create our country, our choice. I think that initiative is a little too late, but you know, Doug McGregor is another. He's another patriot. That's the he's a real thing, and I think he's working with and working around general officers. I don't have any proof of that, but I think he, uh, I think he's definitively. He's definitively working with someone else. He's not doing that alone. His talking, just listen to his talking points when he talks about the first two videos of our choice, our country, our choice. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's a scripted, very rehearsed narrative, and that's typically when you have a lot of people that are involved in that and, and some big money behind you. So I hope for our sake that Chris Miller is still in touch with Trump. And he's working with Cash Patel and the rest of them, and they've come up with a cabinet, and they are working in the background to disrupt as many of the uh, the uh, um, situations that we're seeing right now show up. But that the proof will be in the pudding. From the information side of the house, you're you're only going to see craziness now for the next month. And I think again, I'm I'm still of the mindset that. They are going to start operations later this month around the 20th or the 24th, and it's going to get out of control fairly quickly, and we're going to see a massive ramp in October, and it, it's going to be both domestic and international. Because remember, folks, this is global. This is not just happening in the U.S. This exact playbook is being played out across the planet. Go back to the Brazilian elections. What did they do in Brazil? They came together and put a communist in charge. They, if China wants to rule the world, 
they need middle management. So they need to be able to, to break up the U.S. They need to put dictators in every single one of their satellite states, and they need to be able to control and manipulate the, the currency and the financial system. He who controls the currency is the de facto emperor. That's, that's the game plan, and Estulin talks about it. I suggest everybody watch that Estulin video, his presentation at Northern Lights, because he covers the big picture and the way, and this, this is the part that I want you to key in on. He covers the thought process that the elite use when they're talking about the average person. They don't look at us as people. They look at us as resources for their fulfillment and for their comfort. And that we're a burden to society. They literally look at us as how many people do we need to feed every day in order for us to achieve our aims. That is literally the uh, the aspect of it that people don't key in on. And the, the other part that, that Estlin talks about is we... You know, we talk about fourth and fifth generation warfare. He's talking sixth and seventh with transhumanist and and AI related um, human activities and human interfaces. It's worth a listen because he gives a he gives you a synopsis of where the elite want to go. But I even with his synopsis, they do not have a clear picture of the future. So, and to answer your question about Ezra Cohen, Ezra Cohen's a patriot. That you got to remember once. Once Trump and Trump's cabinet left office, they undid every executive order. They replaced every single cabinet member, every single head of every agency to include deputies. And then all the agencies started a purge. Anybody that was loyal to Trump, they drummed them out or moved them out of D.C. or moved them to lesser positions. I know because I have several people that are still in the beltway and they've gone dark because they're monitoring their email, they're monitoring their phone calls, they're monitoring everything they do. This is a communist takeover of our country by China. And it, we could talk about the elite, et cetera, et cetera, but Alex Craner had it right. They want China to be the new superpower and I think China's off the reservation, but I could be wrong. Any other questions in the chat before we, we call it a day? We went a little bit longer than I thought we were going to go. But uh, otherwise, I appreciate everybody jumping on. And uh, keep the keep the questions coming. You can hit me on True Social, Lieutenant Colonel Steve Murray. Um, same handle for Getter. And I'm uh, at BSG75 on Gab. You can reach me on Gab. And... Uh, I'm usually on Telegram or my admins are there. So if you're in the Telegram channel, which is Lieutenant Colonel Steve Murray, you can you can throw a question into the chat and one of my admins will get it to me if I'm not watching the chat. God bless everyone. One team, one fight. Stay in the fight, no matter what you do. Hey, Steve. Yeah. We're too old to learn Mandarin. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> Good answer. And uh, thanks for jumping on, Dave. I appreciate it. I think, I think you were back. Any final thoughts before we, we call it a day? Well, thanks for having me on once again. Uh, I think you're right. Daniel Estelin has uh, wrapped his brain around a great deal of this. He's, uh, he's a brilliant guy. He speaks about six languages, and I, I think he has a, a background in counterintelligence. Um, so look forward to you uh, getting hold of him at some point. 
and uh, you know, a lot, a lot going on. We'll just continue the narrative as, as it goes. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks brother. You too. Have a good night, everyone out here.